But we're in Romans chapter 13, and we're looking here uh, beginning in verse 8, and I want to read verses uh, 8 through the end of the chapter. We're not going to near get through all this today, but... uh, just another word. I pray that you know we don't lose sight of our radio program every week. We have a radio program that plays on KFAX at 3.30. And it's basically a, a broken down version of some of our messages here uh, from the church. And um, please be praying for that. That's just a, a vital ministry. And the word of God goes out. And we get calls pretty much weekly from people who've listened and want a CD of the, the message or pointed to the app online. Uh, things like that. And... Uh, We appreciate the support of you for that ministry. But as we turn our hearts to God's Word this morning, Romans chapter 13, I want to read uh, beginning in verse 8. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Romans. He says, Owe no man, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, for the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We're just going to hit on the first couple verses of this uh, section of Scripture. But remember here that Paul has just come out of speaking about paying our taxes and being submissive to the governing authorities over us. And uh, we need to be reminded of that because... Um, some people look at this verse 8 and they use it as a kind of a, a verse to talk about personal finance and all this stuff. Uh, it, the principle's there, but that's not the context of this verse. Okay, And so we want to look at what this, this means in its context. And so um, the one thing that's, that's very uh, telling in this verse, he talks about love a lot. And that's part of the Christian Christian life. And the one thing that we need to be reminded is that we can never say that we have satisfied our obligation as far as love goes as Christians. I don't know of any Christian that could say, you know what, I've done all the love that, loving that I need to do. I'm done loving now. I, I've completed that task. I'm going to move on to something else. You just never get there. Um, Leon Morris put it this this way, commentator. He says, we can never say, I have done all the loving I need to do. This is because love is a permanent obligation, a debt impossible to discharge. See, and this isn't the first time that Paul has written about our obligation as far as Christian love is concerned. We've seen this as we've gone through Romans. We've seen it in chapter 12. 
He told us what love was all about there in verses 9 through 13. And he talked a little bit about what love was like. He said love must, if you remember, this is all review, but he said love must be both sincere, remember? And that word sincere in the original language means to be without hypocrisy. It has an idea of somebody wearing a mask to portray themselves as somebody they're not. And uh, he says it has to be without the mask. Love has to be sincere. And then he, he says, secondly, that in verse 9 of chapter 12, he says that it should hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And so the, the distinction of love is very clear. Paul has pointed this out. Um, Real love does not love everything. See, we live in a world today where, you know, it's all about love. And and the idea of love is that we just all join hands and sing kumbaya, and there's no truth, there's no judgment, there's none of that. We just want to have a big love fest. Well, in a big love fest, there's a lot of error. See, and and if you're going to show people love, you have to be willing to stand up and point out the error. You have to be willing to say, hey, wait a minute, no, you, you think this. You're thinking wrong. Um, when you share Christ with people, a lot of times you'll hear, well, my God would never send anybody to hell. My God wouldn't judge me. My God. Well, you know what? You don't have the God of the Bible. I'm sorry. Because all you have to do is open up the pages of Scripture and you see uh, that, that God portrayed in a very loving way most times, but also there's some things that God doesn't like. There's some things that God even hates. And so, you know, we have to remind ourselves of that as well. If we truly love, we will hate violence done to other people by whatever means. And so we want to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Um, And we'll love those who work for peace. Uh, We'll we'll love those, even those who are guilty of violence, uh, because we want to turn them from their way, from their evil ways. Uh, we will hate lying, we'll hate untruths, we'll hate all those kind of things. But we also want to see those people come to know the Savior. And so he told us a little bit about what love is, and he also tells us in chapter 12, the following verses there, 10 to 13, he says how love is to function. And just look here back with me, because he points this out. He says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be sloth or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in prayer. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And so when you stop and you look at that, all right, that's, that's an indication of how love is to function. He wants us to know that in the body of Christ, we don't possess the same kind of love the world does. We are called to be different. And so when he gets to chapter 13, he begins talking not just about the body of Christ, but he begins to open this kind of subject open to everybody. He says, let every person, not just believers, but let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And so he's talking about all people, not just Christians. And as far as the nature of love is concerned, he's teaching that love is the fulfillment of the moral law. In other words, it's not good enough just to put on a big act and be hypocritical and maybe dress up in some fancy clothes and and look Christian or just act that way when you're around certain people. But he says, no, love 
is the fulfillment of the moral law. And so Paul is pointing this out to us. And so he's been speaking of paying taxes in verses 6 and 7. And then he gives this admonition here in verse 8, Oh, no one anything. And so he continues to focus on the Christian as well as the non-Christians, financial obligations. What obligations do we have? Now, we've all dealt with debt to some degree, and debt is a horrible thing. You don't want to get into debt. Um, some of us have been digging our way out, and it, some, sometimes it's not fun. You know, it's just, it's just not a good thing to get in that kind of a situation. And it basically boils down to, you know what, we want what we want, and we don't want to wait, so we, you know, lend, and, you know, and any kind of consumer debt is always wrong unless you can pay for it. You know, it's not saying you shouldn't have credit cards, okay? But he's saying, you know what, you have to have those. You have, some people shouldn't have credit cards, frankly, <laughs> you know? But if you responsibly pay them off at the end of the month, and, and we're going to go through a little bit about what this is talking about here this morning. But the phrase is sometimes to be interpreted that the Christian is never justified for going into debt, ever. And, and some people teach this. But the problem I have with that, you don't find any place in the Old or the New Testament categorically that forbids borrowing and lending. You just don't see it. Now, we should do it responsibly. It's not a good thing to owe other people money, but sometimes, you know, maybe you're making an investment and, or something like that. The Mosaic Law in Exodus chapter 22, verse 25, basically it required this, if you lend money to my people. So it had the idea that you're lending money out. To the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him interest. All right? And so the idea is there is that you're, you know, it's obvious from that verse that if lending was permitted, so was borrowing. So was borrowing. And so the moral issue involved charging interest, or what the, the King James used to call usury, over the poor. You see somebody who's down and out in their luck, and you say, hey, I'll help you out. Here's 100 bucks, but you've got to pay me 200 next week. You know, just let you know. I'll get, and it gets you through this bad, and there's people that do this, okay? Um, that, as Christians, we're not to be part of that. As a matter of fact, my son-in-law was telling me in the military, they had a real hard time with a lot of these, uh, I don't even know what they call them. They're, they're store, I guess they're like financial places you go to and you can get money on your paycheck that's coming up. I forget what the term is. Anyway, they basically had to pass a regulation in the military. It's illegal for you to go to these if you're in the military. Because you had military guys who were just plain irresponsible incurring all this debt on wages they hadn't even earned yet. So it was not a good, good situation. You know, and that's never a good situation to be in that, in that, in that uh, uh, place in your life. So you want to, you know, if you're in debt, you want to get out of debt. As far as consumer debt, that's never good. You know, if you're making investment, things like that, that's, that's something a little different into a house or something. Obviously, most of us don't have a million and a half sitting in the bank just to go pay for a house cash. And you'd probably never be able to save up that much money. But, you know, hopefully you can save up a good you know, down payment, whatever, and, and get that done um, if that's what the Lord is leading you to do. But the principle of charging interest is stated more explicitly in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 to 36, it says this, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Wow. <laughs> 
Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. All right? And so the Bible talks about borrowing and lending, but God warned his people over and over again against refusing to give a loan to a fellow countryman. Um, in Deuteronomy, it says because the sabbatical year was near. And what, what they did on the sabbatical year was all the debts were canceled every seven years, remember? So if, it, if you're at, at year six and a half, and somebody said, hey, you know, I'm in need, well, I'm not going to give it to them now because if I give them a loan now, it's got to be forgiven, right? I mean, it's kind of common sense. You wouldn't want to do that. But the Lord said, no, you shouldn't do that. That's not, that's not a good thing to do, to be discriminatory that way. He says in Deuteronomy 15, uh, 10, the Lord promised the unselfish and generous lender that for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all the work, in all your work, in all your undertakings. In other words, don't be discriminatory that way. In Psalm 37, verse 21 and 26, it says, the righteous is gracious and gives all day long. He is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. In Proverbs nineteen seventeen, he says, He who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him. The Lord will repay him for his good deed. So whether or not a gracious lender is repaid by the borrower, he unquestionably will be repaid by the Lord. And we've all probably at some point benefited from very gracious, loving, giving people in our lives who've gifted us with something and said, Hey, you know, this is a gift. Don't worry about it. Um, and that's always a blessing to have something like that. And so from those passages, from many other passages, it's obvious that in Scripture it talks about lending. And if it's talking about lending, then it must be talking about borrowing as well. And they were common, legitimate practices in ancient Israel. Now, it did prohibit charging interest to those who were destitute, as I said. You weren't allowed to help somebody who is poor and then charge them interest for your help. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, Jesus basically gives approval of, of, of borrowing and commands potential lenders this. He says, give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So there is this idea of borrowing and lending in the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, love your enemies and do good and lend, especially expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. So again, once again, you see this kind of a common theme throughout Scripture. And both in the Old and the New Testaments, you have to justify borrowing by those who are in serious need and have no other recourse. And both Testaments command believers who are able to lend and help needy brethren to do so. Um, now, when you get to the financial end of things, a lot of times... People make investments, things like that, and, and you're investing with interest. You know, someone's asked me, well, if I, if I put money in the bank, they're paying me interest. Should I not keep the interest? Because it says, you know, it's not, you're not allowed to do that in Scripture. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Once again, you have to keep it in its context. Uh, in the parables of the talents, the master highly commended, you remember in, Luke, or in Matthew 25, those two servants who had wisely invested those talents. But he strongly rebuked the unfaithful servant. Remember, the guy just buried it, saying, hey, well, at least I'll give it back to him. Uh, it'd be a, a kind of equal, you know, 
just a washout. Um, but he rebuked him. He says, you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received money back with interest. So Jesus kind of says that there's places in life where we can incur interest, and it's okay. Um, many businesses could not operate without borrowing money on a, sometimes a weekly basis to keep everything flowing. Uh, many farmers couldn't plant new crops. I mean, think about that. I always wondered about farmers. Man, they got to plant. They do all this hard work. They don't see anything. And then finally, you know, the, the harvest comes, and that's when they, they reap the reward. But sometimes, you know, maybe natural disaster, something like that, everything is wiped out. And you think about it, they have all this money invested in that crop. And back then, that was, in, in, in Paul's time, that was a very important thing. Um, so when borrowing is truly necessary, the money should be repaid as agreed upon, <clears throat> the Bible says, with the lender, promptly, fully. The scripture nowhere justifies borrowing for the purpose of buying unnecessary things, whether they be luxuries or whatever that we can't afford. And so we have to keep all that in place. But when we come to our <clears throat> text here, it's not really talking about our finances personally, but it's talking about this debt that we, we owe of love. And he, he breaks it down here, and he begins to talk about these commandments of the law of the Lord. And um, in John chapter 14, verse 21, Jesus says, He that uh, keeps my, has my commandments and keeps them, he loves me. If you want to know if you love the Lord, are you keeping his commandments? Are you doing what the Lord tells us to do? And so we want to look first of all here in our outline at love's debt. Love's debt. Because love's debt is large. It's large. He says here, owe no one anything except what? To love each other. Except to love each other. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Uh, love will always have the interests of the creditor in view. Uh, this isn't a, a precept, of, you know, like I said, to forbid Christians from entering into contractual agreement with somebody over a business deal or whatever. But it does forbid the Christian to borrow money beyond the ability to repay. So we have to be aware of that. Um, we're to avoid those kind of things. You think of the, the story of Zacchaeus, because he's talking here about, um, Paul just got done talking about taxes, right? And you think of the story of Zacchaeus, and you know when we are saved by God's love, when we are transformed, that love really affects our conscience. And it, and it makes it, gives us a desire, I guess is what I want to say, to live above reproach. Most Christians I know don't say, man, I just can't wait to go out in the world and sin. You know, most Christians would not say that. There are some that maybe call themselves Christians and do that, okay, but they're probably not legitimately saved. They haven't been transformed. Most Christians would say, no, I want to go out in the world and shine for Christ. I want to do the right thing. I don't want to, uh, you know, do things that will dishonor Christ. They're eager to live a life beyond reproach as we're called to live. 
Um, and so the, the story of Zacchaeus illustrates this because in Luke chapter 19, where this is at, no sooner had this dishonest tax collector come face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, he, ex- he exclaimed in, in Luke 19, verses 8 and 9, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore him fourfold. What's he doing? He's confessing his sin. He was a tax collector. All tax collectors were crooked. They were all crooked. And you can tell by the time that he was giving back fourfold, he was probably taking fourfold. That's why he's doing that. So, you know, the tax was 50 bucks. Well, he was requiring 200. And so he had money because he he got it wrongfully. But when he got saved, the Bible says that his conscience was affected. Now, he wasn't saved because he wanted to put his financial affairs in order. That's not what saved him. He wanted to put his financial affairs in order because he was saved. Do you understand that? I mean, the salvation has to come first. We can't go out there and pretend to live some Christian life if we haven't been transformed by the Spirit of God. Because all those works that we do are for naught. All right? It's only after our conversion that these good things that we do are attributed to our account. And God has good works for us to do, even before the foundation of the world. He said, I've I've provided good works for you to do when you're saved. There are certain things that God desires us to do as believers that would fall in the category of good works. But it's after we come to Christ. Beloved, if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you haven't had your sins forgiven, you haven't been transformed by the power of His Spirit, you can do all the works you want. It's not going to help you one little bit. Not one little bit. I mean, trust me, I came out of a religion that was all about works. You know, you go to Mass, you do this, you do that, you, do, you know, follow all these rules and regulations and catechism and all this stuff. And when finally, when I, somebody share with me, you know, it says that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. I, I stopped right in my tracks and I thought, wait a minute. Why am I doing this stuff then? <laughs> well, they teach that you're doing it to earn God's grace. And God's grace cannot be earned. It's a gift. And see, our salvation is a gift. It's not a work that we do. And so Zacchaeus wasn't saved because he got everything in order. He put everything in order because he was saved. His personal contact with the Lord won his heart. And here we're talking about finances, but it doesn't need to be finances. It could be your thought life. It could be your work ethic. It could be whatever. Uh, you know, I've, I've met people who, before they were saved, they were bilking their, their employers probably out of hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars. Maybe in little things, you know, but they were still doing it. Um, Paper clips or pencils or whatever, you know. And, and when they got saved, God convicted their heart. They said, you know what, this is my property. I shouldn't be taking this. Or at least I should check first before I do. If they say, fine, then Okay. But see, we, we all do little things like that, and, and we have to be reminded that, you know what? When we're saved, God changes our desires. He changes the way that we should be living. And so he says, oh, no man anything. Um, the apostle makes what appears at first glance to be this radical transition. You know, he's talking about taxes, and then, wow, he just turns into this love love. love talking about love through the rest of the chapter. What is this all about? Um, See, all believers 
All of us are commanded by God's holy word to have a constant obligation to love one another in Christ. It's a debt. It is a debt. And we're constantly to pay against that debt, but we never get it paid off. We never get to the point where, okay, I don't have to love anymore. Um, Origen, early church father, said this, the debt of love remains with us permanently, and it never leaves us. This is a debt which we pay every day and forever owe. Um, The Lord, through his gracious provision, it's it's a debt we will always have the resources to pay, though. See, Christ never tells us to do something where he doesn't give us the resources to do it. Do you understand that? We're sufficient in Christ. A lot of times people say, well, you know, the Bible says that I should forgive, but I just can't. I can't find it within myself to do it. You don't know what this person did to me, blah, 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 blah. And I say, yeah, well, I don't need to know. (laughs) Because I know that if you're a Christian, God has made you sufficient for all things in Christ Jesus, including forgiving somebody that God has commanded you to forgive And you're right, you can't do it within yourself. So stop trying. Refocus on Christ, not on that person. Refocus on what he's done for you. See, our love toward one another applies, first of all, to fellow believers. Those within the body of Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, he said this, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, why do you want us to do this, Jesus? Why is this so important? Well, he goes on, he says, By this all men will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, I think our, our churches today have to dial in on a verse like this and say, Wow, how are we showing love to one another? How does this practically kind of play out in our lives? Because, you know, if you've been in churches for any time at all, you know that churches can be, you know, sometimes a hornet's nest. I mean, you know, they're not always this, oh, peaceful, loving, you know, you got people. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We're called to love one another. We have a debt to love one another in Christ. What does that mean? That means we need to get along with each other. We need to be forgiving. We need to be gracious. We need to extend grace. Um, To serve other Christians is to serve Christ. It was Jesus himself in Matthew 25. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. He's telling his disciples this. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of these, you did it to me. Because his disciples were like, wait, wait, wait when, when did all this happen, Jesus? Were we sleeping again? Or, you know, when did all this action happen? And he said, no, it, you know, by me, I mean, you know, one of my, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Hebrews 6.10 tells us that we should be ministering to the saints. Not only it demonstrates our love for them, but also our love for God. You know, when we minister to one another in the body of Christ in a gracious way, that's, that's, that's winning the approval of God. When we went through 1 John on Wednesday nights, we looked at this verse, 1 John 2.10. John tells us there, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, 
and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Think about that verse. The one who loves his brother abides where? In the light. In other words, your love for your brother or your sister in Christ is a testimony of your faith in Christ. It's an indication that the light has made an impact on your life. And there's no cause for stumbling. Sometimes I wonder, you know, I see some Christians, man, they're stumbling all over, they're stumbling over themselves, they're stumbling over others. It's like, wow, just get it right here, stop. You know, quit focusing on all your problems, focusing on all these other people, focus on your own heart, look at your own heart before God and say, okay, what's the problem here, Lord? And go before the Lord and ask him to renew that love for each other. Um, he reminds us a little later down in 1 John three twenty three. he commands us, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. See, this isn't optional. Sometimes I hear people say, yeah, you know, church is all right, but I just don't like the people there. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, what, what does that say? You know, I've even had, you know, pastors say, I've joked, but I've never meant it sincerely, but I've heard, heard pastors say, yeah, you know, the ministry's great, you know, if it wasn't for the people. It's like, really? So are you saying that, you know, you're happy to sit in your little office and read your little books and boy, just keep all the people away from me because I don't like that part. Well, that's, that's not what we're called to do. He even says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. We have a song that goes like this, right? For the love is from God and everyone who is born of God... Uh, uh, who, who loves is born of God and knows God. Or verse 421 of 1 John. This commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Paul, the apostle Paul, the same guy that wrote Romans, affirmed this same concept of love. In Colossians, Bob read from Colossians chapter 1, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. He writes a letter here to the church at Colossae, these Christians in the city of Colossae. And he writes this in verse 12. He says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, he's writing to believers, holy and beloved, put on a heart of, listen to this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. You know, sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes you just got to roll your sleeves up and say, you know, I'm not getting along with this person, but I'm just going to bear with them. Okay? And, and that's, you do it graciously. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And then he says, you know what? If you got a complaint, if you got a gripe against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these... And what Paul's saying is, in case your little hang-up is not listed there, you know, the thing you have a hard time doing, maybe you are compassionate, but, you know, whatever. He says, beyond all these, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If we could just take that verse and say, you know what? I'm going to live this each Sunday. I'm going to live this each week. I'm going to live this every day. The church of Christ would become something the world would actually probably be in awe of. They would sit back and go, wow, what is going on there? In 1 Corinthians 14.1, he counseled the most factious and probably worldly church in all of the world. I mean, the Corinthian church wasn't some epitome of, of 
you know, grandeur as far as their spirituality goes. I mean, these were people who were, were misusing the word of God. They were, they were doing all sorts of sordid things that were dishonoring to Christ. And Paul wrote the Corinthian believers, and he told them in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, look, if you want to solve some of the problems you have, pursue love. Pursue love. Or 1 Timothy 2.15, he advised Timothy to encourage the godly women to continue in faith and love and sanctity. Or in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul wrote the believers at Philippi. He said, abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. And he prayed that the love of the believers might do that. It's so important that we understand this concept of love when it comes to our Christian lives. In 1 Peter chapter 1, even the Apostle Peter, verse 22, he says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Remember, we mentioned that word sincere, and it means without hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. You have a sincere love for the brethren, fervently, earnestly, with energy, loving one another from what? The eyes, from the mind? No, from the heart. From the heart. He mentions the heart because it's the heart that gets transformed when we come to Christ. There's no way we could do this outside of Christ. And so he refers here in Romans, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The each other there, or the one another, applies to believers, but it also applies to who? Unbelievers. See, we need to be reminded that there's a lot of people out there in the world that are hard to love. There's actually a lot of people within the church that are hard to love too. (laughs) And what I'm saying is it doesn't make any difference. This command applies equally. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 14, we saw where Paul, remember, when he commanded us to bless those who persecute you. Bless and what? Curse not. Verse 20, he said, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. Um, in Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then, while we, love, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Remember, I said the priority is the brother and sister in Christ, but as soon as you leave this building, you, know, you don't get to be unloving to somebody just because they're not part of the, the, the body of Christ. The command is still there for us to follow. So righteous love is so important. It tells us that he who loves his brother has fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. And he reiterates that down in verse 10 as well. When you stop and you think of of what godly love is, you know, it's not just some little sentimental feeling you have in your heart. Um... But we saw here that it's, it's a heart of what? Compassion, as Galatians put it. It's a, as Paul put it in Galatians, it's a heart of kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, 
Um, but it also is not just something that resides in the heart, but it actually works its way out into actions. It finds ways to do good to those that we love, whether they deserve it or not, frankly. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, when, you, when you stop and think of these you know, situations, sometimes, I mean, we're removed from people that we love. And so all we can do is maybe shoot them an email or maybe they're across the, the ocean or whatever. And so you want to be there with them, but you can't be. Well, what can you do? You know, you can, you can communicate your love through correspondence to them. You can be praying for them, even more important. Um, so sometimes you can't necessarily do good in the sense of physically doing something for those people. Sometimes all you, you can do is pray for them. Um, and and we, we find that sometimes probably does a lot more than, than all the giving and the doing that we could ever do because God is working on our behalf when we pray. Don't ever forget that. Um, but it says here that, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. There's a lot of different ways that we can um, demonstrate godly love. Um, I think the important first step is to teach and to live God's truth. You know, to teach and to love, live God's truth. For unbelievers, if we're trying to show them love, the best way is to share with them the gospel of salvation. To show them the way to Christ. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, Paul says this. That believers teach God's truth by living faithfully. He says, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. Uh, Even when we are called to uh, rebuke somebody or warn somebody, sometimes we have to say some pretty harsh things to people. Paul says in in Ephesians 4.15 that we should do so, what? We should speak the truth how? In love. In love. Uh, Godly love never turns its freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. It never rejoices in anything that is false or unrighteous. Love refuses to do anything. Godly love refuses to do anything. Even the things things that are, are not sinful in themselves that might offend somebody. You know, sometimes... You know, there are things that maybe we do in our own lives that, that don't offend us. They're not a sin, but they may offend a brother or sister in Christ. And we're called to be sensitive about that. Um, you know, we don't just say, well, this is my house and I do things the way I want. You know, I don't care if it offends you or not. That's not a Christian attitude. Christian attitude is, well, you know, this behavior might be offensive. Maybe you know, I'm not going to do this behavior while this person's around. Uh, I remember... I, knew a musician who was very well at his craft and he was involved in the whole musician thing down in LA and and I remember when I found that out I used to talk to him and ask him all these questions. Well who'd you play with? You know and he finally he was a brother in the Lord, he finally said, You know what? I, I really I want to say this carefully and I want to say it graciously. Please stop asking me all these questions. I'm like, why? He goes it just brings up a part of my life that I don't even want to remember. You know, and I thought, hmm, okay. 
what I do. Wow, get over it. No, you know, I, I, I honored that. You know, and so from then on, I, I didn't ask him any of those questions. I asked his wife. No, I didn't. Just, just kidding. No. <laughs> just joking. But see, there's sometimes people, you know, that you, you, you got to be gracious with people. We're, we're called, godly love calls us to do that. Godly love is also uh, forgiving. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 says that we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. Or 1 Peter 4.8, keep fervent in your love for one another because what? Love covers a multitude of sin. Okay, a multitude of sin. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, the Lord says, he's basically giving them this, this promise. If you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Remember that? But it's also followed by this somber warning. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transactions. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? As a Christian, you don't have the right not to forgive people. I've talked to some Christians who are, I'm not going to forgive them until they repent. That's not your call. I'm sorry. That's just not your call. Now, you may not want to spend time with them anymore, whatever. That's fine. But at the same time, you have to seek God's grace to be, to be forgiving toward that person. Because if you're not forgiving toward someone like that, maybe they're just, you know, they've caused a lot of hurt in your life and you just... Who's benefiting? You're not benefiting from that. They're probably not even thinking about you. You know, they're they're not out there thinking, oh, I'm glad I got this. You know, they're not forgiving me and that's causing them misery. No, they don't don't remember even probably the situation that was caused as a result of their offense to you. And so when you just are willing to forgive as the Lord forgave, then that's very telling that, you know what, you're a believer. And I've read some testimonies. I've read some... uh, Books on people that have been treated horrendously in their lives. Even in their childhood, horrible things done to them. And yet, they're willing to say, you know what, no, I I forgive that person. And you see that once in a while. You see it once in a while in the news. You know, someone will be killed or someone will be shot or whatever. And the parents, obviously believers, say, you know what, we we forgive the person who took our, our daughter or our son from us. And I'm even sitting there going, man, I don't know if I could do that. But, you know, I could do it because Christ would do it through me. You know, I'm not going to rely on my own will to do that. Uh, Godly love is also characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. We mentioned that. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, the love chapter, here we go. Yeah, well, you know, we got to look at this. You know, it's important. Um. He says here in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4, just look at verses 4 through 8. He gives us a kind of a, a very telling definition of what this kind of godly love looks like. All right? It says, first of all, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Wow. That convicted me right there. It is not irritable. There's another conviction. Or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. All things, not just the good things. All things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then he says, love never ceases. Love never fails. Love never ends is the idea. See, the greatest test of godly love is its willingness to sacrifice your own needs and welfare for the needs and the welfare of those around us. That's really a test. That's what God calls us to do. Uh, John 15, Jesus says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, what? Than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so when you stop and you think about it, if you're willing to give your life away, and that doesn't necessarily mean to die. I mean, it did in that context because Christ did die. But, you know, there's a lot of things you can do as far as sacrifice before your last breath. Um, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8, Paul gives Christ as an example of love, a testament of love himself. He says, Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. In other words, what that means is when he came down to earth, he was God. Just as much as God the Father's God, just as much as the Holy Spirit's God. But you know what? He didn't use that as a trump card. You know, he didn't walk around going, hey, I'm God. You know, you gotta, you know I, I get in front of the line here. You know, uh, he, he didn't do that. He didn't hold on to that, that divinity, even though he still had it. It says, but he emptied himself. The kenosis, the idea that, that he emptied himself of, of all this divinity. He was still God in every way. But he didn't use it for his benefit. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which to them was a horrendous way to die. I mean, that was like for thieves and murderers, and that's, you know, a righteous person would never die on a cross. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, says that we are to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. What's that mean? It means as part of your daily practice, you're putting on the love of Christ. You're out there in a world that hates you, that treats you unfairly. Sometimes you're in a church that's, you know, people, whatever, you know, you rub elbows. You know what? We're to put on love. We're to walk in love. We can't use the actions of others as an excuse to leave love aside. That's the kind of debt it is. It's a debt that we can never pay off. We kind of constantly be flowing, walking in love, just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And remember that it's, it's important, First John 3.16, it says, we know Love by this, that he laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Um, well, how can we live in such a, a, a righteous and, and selfless, loving way, you might say? Well, first of all, just quick things here. You have to keep in mind that the gracious Heavenly Father provides for his children, as I said earlier, every resource that you need to obey the commands that he's given you. 
God never tells you, Christ never tells you to do something and then says, oh, this should be fun. Let's see how he figures this out. No, we are sufficient in Christ. Um, We are divinely enabled to pay our great debt of love. Romans 5, verse 5 says, because the love of God has been what? Shed abroad in our own hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I mean, God's own love, if you, can, if you can even understand this, I mean, that inexhaustible source of love is, is put in our hearts when we come to Christ. And we can draw from that supernatural love each and every day as he commands us to live. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19, Paul prayed this, and this is a good prayer to pray for others. It's a good prayer to pray for ourselves, that we would be rooted grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Think of that statement. He's saying, I'm praying that you would know something that surpasses knowledge. And yet through Christ, that's possible that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So you have to be willing to understand that you are sufficient in Christ to do the kind of loving that we're talking about this morning. But secondly, you also have to submit to the Spirit. You have to allow the Spirit to work through us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says this, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He's talking about the Spirit of God that dwells with us. Through his own Holy Spirit, God himself teaches us to love. And because God himself is love, it's hardly surprising that the first fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. That's what Galatians 5.22 says. So the love that God commands, it has to be pure. It has to be genuine. It can't coexist with hypocrisy. That's why this love can't come from us. Because if it comes from us, it's coming from a sinful heart. Even though that sinful heart's forgiven, it's still sinful. We're still in the sinful world. We're still in this sinful body. And so we need to fervently love one another from the heart, 1 Peter one twenty two says. And I think when we, when we do that, we can fulfill Paul's command in Colossians. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Um, when you stop and you, you think of how God has uh, blessed us with our, with our salvation, with our church, um, that, we can, that we can really live for him in a way that's, that's honoring to him um, by the power of the Spirit each and every day. When you stop and think of all that, you know, it, it's amazing to me that we don't um, love one another more than what we even do now. And we have a very loving church, but I'm just saying there's always room for growth, right? We can always be more loving. Um, You know, we can always go out of our our comfort zone. We can always stop and say, hey, you know, I want to really get to know somebody else other than maybe the people that I just uh, get to know every week. You know, when we have our little meet and greet thing, sometimes it's, it's good to go 
Go, go say hi to somebody you never you don't even know who they are. Maybe they're a visitor. Maybe they're somebody that's been here for a while and you never said hi to them before. Make it a point. Plan on it. Okay, show them the love of Christ. I want to close with this. It's a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13. It means somebody took the scripture and kind of put it in their own words. All right, so this isn't scripture, but it kind of gives us a good, a good picture of what love is to look like. And so 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I know the language perfectly and speak like a native and have not God's love for them, I am nothing. If I have diplomas and decrees and know all the up-to-date methods and have not his touch of understanding love, I am nothing. If I am able to argue successfully against the religious of the people, religions of the people, and make fools of them, and have not his wooing note, I am nothing. If I have all faith and great ideals and magnificent plans, and not his love that sweats and bleeds and weeps and prays and pleads, I am nothing. If I give my clothes and money to them and have not his love for them, I am nothing. If I surrender all prospects, if I leave home and friends, if I make the sacrifices of a missionary career and turn sour and selfish amid the daily annoyances and slights of a missionary life and have not the the love that yields its rights, its leisures, its pet plans, I am nothing. Virtue has ceased to go out of me. If I can heal all manner of sickness and disease, but wound hearts and hurt feelings for want of his love that is kind, I am nothing. If I can write articles or publish books that win applause, but fail to transcribe the word of the cross into the language of his love, I am nothing. The debt of our love is great, brothers and sisters, and we need to do everything we can each and every day to make sure that we're paying on that debt, even though it will never be repaid in this life. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would um, help us as a body to discern how we can be more loving, one, first of all, toward one another, Maybe that's reaching out and getting to know somebody we don't know, uh, spending time with them. But Lord, we also pray that you would help us to see how we can also be more loving to those who are outside of the body of Christ. That we wouldn't look at them as the enemy or the opponent, but, but as, as people who need to be wooed to Christ. And the only way that that's going to happen is if, if we walk out of this building and live a life that's loving in the spirit of Christ. And when the questions are asked and the opportunities of service um, come up and, and we are willing to walk through those doors and minister to people that maybe don't think like us or act like us. Maybe they speak with coarse language that we don't like to hear. But Lord, we're willing to bend over and help them and give them a hand in whatever way we can. Father, that we would express your love to them and that we would see them uh, express wonder at the love of Christ that flows through us. And Lord, we know this isn't something that we can pin on our chest and say, well, look at how loving we are. Lord, we're wretched sinners and we need your grace each and every day. And it's only through your love that we have been transformed. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to take this uh, 
life-giving, forgiving message of the gospel to those who have yet to hear, and that we'd see many transformed by its power. We pray and we ask these things. We pray that you bless our time of fellowship over in the fellowship hall afterwards. Bless the food. Bless our conversation. And uh, give us a good week. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.